Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. You shall go around the city once, and then, and this you shall do for six days. And think of the psychological warfare of that. You got this, this massive amount of people circling you, and you're completely shut up, and you're scared, and they're just marching around. It only takes 15 to 20 minutes to walk around Jericho. It's about a nine-acre piece of land. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes to walk around the entire thing. And so you got all these, this huge amount of people marching around it, and they're just quiet, you know. The priests are blowing the trumpets, but everyone's quiet. And they're just walking around. And then they go back to their camp in Gilgal, just not too far away. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins our study in Joshua chapter 6 with the battle involving the city of Jericho. Jericho itself was on full alert. From a human perspective, this would be a hard, if not impossible, battle for the nation of Israel. Yet from God's perspective, the battle was already over because he said to Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hands in past tense. As students of the Bible, we know that nothing is impossible for our God. And now, let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 6, and follow along with Pastor Rob. Notice in verse 13, this is where it gets interesting. It says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. Now, this is kind of a no-no because... He is the commander. Joshua is the commander. And he sees a man. He's like, who is this? Is this one of my own or is this uh, from an enemy? And if an enemy or even your own man has a sword drawn, when you didn't tell him to draw their sword, there's a serious breach in, in order here. He's the commander. Joshua, who is this drawing his sword? Are you for us or are you against us? And then he realizes, oops. This is not who I thought it was. I think the Lord did this just to show Joshua, Joshua, I love you, and I got a great plan, and I'm going to use you in a powerful way, but you have to understand something. You have to understand that this battle belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to the children of Israel. This is a holy war. And you may think that's kind of a weird term, but remember, for 430 years, he kept them in Egypt because of why? What does Genesis tell us? Because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. That means that there was a grace period God was giving to those Canaanite nations, giving it to them, but there came a point when God says, enough is enough. And then they came in. But he had to know, and it's, 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 a, it's a war. It's a, it's, it's, it's a war that God is going to engage. He is going to drive out those people, and he's going to dispossess them by using his own people. And so Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, No. 
But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servants? So now Joshua realized there's something unique about this commander, very different from me. He demands my respect, and for something about him, even in his presence, I just feel this compulsion to kneel. There's something about him. Something about him. We know that this was the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ himself. It's also called a Christophany, which means that before Jesus was born through the Virgin Mary, there were times in Israel's history where God would show up. Jesus Christ would show up incarnate in a different form, in a different, you know, I don't know if they look the same. But he showed up and, and spoke and he intervened at certain times in their life. And there were hundreds and thousands of years, not, not too many thousands of years, but maybe a couple or hundreds of years in, in, in these times when Jesus would show up. And we see this when, when Abraham, remember in Genesis chapter 18, right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, there were three angels that came. Three angels. And what is, it says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 13, it says, And the Lord, and it was, it was one of these three that was speaking to, to Abraham, and the Lord, Jehovah, the word is Jehovah there, so we know that this is not just an angel, this is the angel of the Lord, this is God incarnate. And the Lord, Jehovah, said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Because, you know, he was telling about how Sarah would have a son, even in her old age. So we know that this was God Almighty in the flesh. And there were other instances in the Bible. In Judges chapter 13, you can read that of Samson and his parents coming into contact with an angel of the Lord. See, angels don't allow themselves to be worshipped if they're an angel of God. There was a, a, a being who tried to, get Satan, or tried to get Jesus to bow down to him, and that was Satan, wasn't it? A fallen angel. A fallen angel will gladly receive worship. But no angel of God will receive worship. But Joshua very naturally, very willingly submitted his heart to this angel and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? And the Lord, through all of this, as the angel stood before him with his sword drawn, the Lord was going to follow through on the promises he made to his ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I also believe that the Lord was establishing the order of rank, telling Joshua, Joshua, you, you are a commander, but I am the commander. Follow me. Follow me. You know, it's amazing the ego that a man can have. And it's very easy you know, especially in the battlefield or going into battle, there's a, a captain leading this great number of people. And there's a certain amount of, of, of chutzpah that you've got to have. You've got to be tough. But God was saying, no, there's more than might makes right, Joshua. You need to be obedient to me. You need to do it in my way because what God was going to do here shortly was going to lead them into something that's really crazy. And I hope we actually get to it. So let's, let's move on here. Because he was going to ask them to do some pretty obscure things, and obedience was necessary for their victory. So then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And this ought to remind us of another instance when Moses stood before the fiery bush, remember? And the same thing happened in a pre, another Christophany, the Lord appearing in the, in the burning bush. Take off your feet, 
or take off your, the sandals of your, take off your feet. Yeah, just, we'll call you stubby. Hobble, hobble, that's your name, new name, hobble. No, take off your sandals from off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. He said that to Moses, didn't he? When he first um, commissioned him, really, to go in and, and, and get his people out of Egypt. So now we get into Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to see in, in chapter 6 through 12, we're going to see the conquest. This is the chapters that are going to speak of, of the children of Israel going into the land. And if you look up on the screen, you'll see uh, the battle plan, really. And this was kind of interesting because when you look at this map here up on the screen, you'll see that they uh, started over here in Shittim, and then they went over to uh, Gilgal, and they conquered Jericho, which we're going to see here shortly. And then they're going to go up here to Ai. So their, their immediate campaign is right here in the center. And then they go down to the campaign on the south because there's these cities down here that are much closer to them, and they want to secure that area before they start heading north finally. And it only makes sense militarily. You know, there's all these um, cities right below them. They've got to secure that. And they secured the center part and the, and the southern part, and now they go north. And so you can even see in this how the Lord had set this up. And, and this is just their northern uh, campaign, which we'll read about in chapter 11 when we get in there. And these are all the cities that, that God had, um, was going to take them. So let's read in verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. One of the things about Jericho is it was a city who had a spring in the center of it. It was the perfect place to be if you were going to be besieged because they had a water supply right within the city. And the city itself was uh, very fortified, and it had two gates or two um, outside things. And we're going to see pictures of that shortly. And they had their own water supply. So you could have an army and besiege them and try to cut off their water supply, but they've got it right within. It comes up from within. And they've also got plenty of storage, because by this time, remember, the harvest had already happened. So they've got all this grain and all this stuff inside the city, and the place is completely shut up. All the gates are blocked and everything. They're scared. They're seeing these, this huge mass of people, so they're going to wait it out. They're going to wait it out, thinking to themselves, well, this is going to be a long siege, and we got the water and we got the grain. We're going to live fat longer than they are, right? So, And it's interesting that even... Within the last 50 or 60 years, the archaeological evidence has shown that there were many pots that were filled. When, when, when they've actually excavated Jericho, they found pots with, uh, of course, the grain had been de- decomposed and, you know, and everything, all that, of course, but they could find grain inside these pots. And so they were, they were in it for the long haul. They had the grain, and that's one of the first things that Israel would have taken if the Lord would have allowed them to, but he said, don't take anything. You've got to kill everything and everyone. Take the gold, and that's going to belong to the, the, in the, for the priest to use for the, for the tabernacle and the treasury. But it says, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war. You shall go around the city once, and and this you shall do for six days. And think of the psychological warfare of that. You got this, this massive amount of people circling you, and you're completely shut up, and you're scared. And they're just marching around. It only takes 15 to 20 minutes to walk around Jericho. It's about a nine-acre piece of land. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes to walk around the entire thing. And so you've got all these, this huge amount of people marching around it. And they're just quiet. You know, 
the priests are blowing the trumpets, but everyone's quiet, and they're just walking around, and then they go back to their camp in Gilgal, just not too far away. And it happens for six days, and the people in Jericho are going, what is this? And think of, think of Joshua. I mean, he's going, really, Lord? Can't we just go in there with guns blazing and just, you know, no, just do what I said, Joshua. It doesn't make any sense. It, 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 may, it makes no... I, I never learned that at West Point. I didn't learn that in my, you know, you know, Siege 101 class. Battle 101. I didn't learn that. What are you doing? Don't worry about it, Joshua. Just obey. Just obey me. Would you obey God if he asked you to do something that was a little weird? I mean, I'm not talking about something unbiblical, because God would never ask you to do something against his word. But if he asks you to do something a little bit odd, like maybe you're in the store and there's someone that you see and the Lord puts it upon your heart, just a little whisper in your heart. Why don't you go over and just say, tell him that Jesus loves him. Tell that woman who looks like she's stressed out of her mind, just go up and tell her that the Lord loves her. No, that can't be you. (laughs) That's not even really that obscure, is it? And yet we fight against it, don't we? Has the Lord been pricking your heart to do something and you've just ignored him? And then you wonder why you feel so distant from him. Maybe it's because he's been speaking to you and you're just, you're, you're just blocking yourself off. You, you're like a Jericho, shut up. And you're just not allowing yourself to be influenced or to be uh, inconvenienced to be a light to someone else. To love somebody else, to show compassion on somebody else. These things, brothers and sisters, we have to learn we have to listen, especially in America, because every, you know, there's so many programs and things. You know, why don't we be the body of Christ? Do the loving things. When you hear of someone in your fellowship going through a difficult time, give them a call. See if there's something you can do. You may not have to do anything. They may say, you know what, somebody already helped me. Thank you so much, you know. But the Lord is going to reward you because you asked, because you were willing. We need to do more of that. We need to do more of that. But notice in verse 4. So now, they did this six days, and seven priests, notice, shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Before the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpet. So God, again, is giving him the, the big plan here, okay? This is what you're going to do. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests, and he said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Notice, before the Ark of the Lord, when they, when they crossed over, the Ark of the Lord was in the front, and they were like a quarter of a mile behind. Now, the Ark is in the center, the men of war in the front, and then the rams, the, the priests with the trumpets are right behind them, and then other people behind the Ark. So Joshua called the, he called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So here's the order of procession, verse 8. So it was, when Joshua had spoken to the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets. So now you see the order of, of, of this. 
And the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I say to you, Shout, and then you shall shout. Can you imagine that? So for, seven, or for six days, the, trumpets are, the, the priests are going ahead, and they're blowing the trumpets, but everyone else is completely silent for six days. Six days, the same thing, same thing, same thing. Verse 11, so he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once, and then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came up after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and and returned to the camp. And so they did this six days. But it came to pass, verse 15, on the seventh day that they arose early, because they got a lot to do now. They've got to go around this thing seven times. And this is the day. This is the day. Think of the anticipation. There's something about the number seven, the number of completion. Certainly they knew something was up. Seven rams, seven horns, seventh day. On the seventh day, we go around it seven times. Everyone is quiet until the seventh time around. And then... They're going to blow the trumpet, and they're going to shout, and the walls are going to come down. Sounds like a nice children's story, doesn't it? And I say that with a little bit of a tongue in my cheek because I don't like the idea of children's stories. Because it's not a children's story. This really happened, and the archaeological evidence is there to prove it. In 1950, 1952 to 1956, there was a woman by the name of Kathleen Kenyon and others. There's a German gentleman, I forget his name, but I've been reading these things. And many people, uh, really smart people, <laughs> archaeologists, have gone over and they've, done, they've excavated this site very thoroughly, very thoroughly with a fine-tooth comb. And everything that the Bible says, it shows there in the record as they go through and they can see all these things. We'll get into that. So, and the, and the seventh time it happened, when the, police, the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 17, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction in it, and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, unless you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. So it is a very temptation, isn't it? When you go, you think of the children of Israel, they're going to go into this land that's been fortified. They've got, they've got, they're probably a people of wealth. It'd be very tempting to go in there, and after you kill all the people and everything else in it, because God had given them time to repent, They did not. They were idol worshipers. They were sacrificing their children to false gods. They were doing all kinds of wicked, perverse things. So God commands them to go in and and, and literally wipe out the whole thing. See, in our politically correct culture, that doesn't really fly, does it? People say, well, if that's the God you serve, I don't want to serve him. Well, that is the God I serve, and he's a God of love, but he's also a God of justice, isn't he? If he's a God of love and that intensity, that means that he's also very serious about judgment as well. Because he knows what's best for us, doesn't he? He knows what's best. And we get into trouble when we don't obey him. We suffer the consequences when we disobey God. 
So it was a temptation for them to touch the accursed thing, to steal, when God had said, everything in here belongs to me, guys. But all the silver and the gold, verse 19, and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell flat down. And then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Look up on the screen if you would. Here is a, a re- representation of after when they've done all this excavation. This is kind of what Jericho looked like, and you can see that it had two different walls and it had an embankment around it. And this thing was pretty impregnable if you look at it. And then if you look at the next picture, this is even a more recent one where they've done some more digging and finding. And they find even between these two layers of these, you know, the upper part here and the lower part, there were houses along here, along the wall. And this is where Rahab would have lived. This is where the lower crust people would live. The upper crust would live up in here, up in this area, the fancy people with the Nikes and the you know, driving the Mercedes, you know, gold Mercedes Benz. But the people down here, these were the poor people. And we were told in the scripture in in Joshua 2 that this is where Rahab lived, somewhere down this area. She lived on the wall, right next to the wall, right? And so they utterly came in and utterly destroyed it. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, he says, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. Because remember, they said, As long as your family's inside this house, this house, Rahab, the one that we crawled out of that night that we came with the scarlet rope, that very house, you must get everyone in there, because if they're not in there, they're going to die, because everyone has got to die. But anyone who's in that house is going to be saved. Sounds like the Passover, doesn't it? Do you find that hard in your heart to understand? God is serious. But notice, Joshua said to the young man, Go into the harlot's house from where there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in, and they brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside of the camp of Israel. But they burned this city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Now, it's interesting because as they excavated this site very thoroughly, they did find not only did the walls fall flat, they fell flat. And God could have used an earthquake. In 1927, there was an earthquake uh, up uh, north of that area that blocked off the, the Jordan River for like 21 hours. God could have used an earthquake, but he did an even greater miracle. If, if, if he did at all, if he even used an earthquake at all, the greater miracle is his timing is impeccable. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, that he spoke all things into existence? Everybody nod your head. You do believe that. You should. <laughs> right? And so he, if he did that, can he cause some shaking underneath the earth at the opportune moment? I think he can. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But even if he did, the timing was impeccable. The timing was impeccable. And the archaeological evidence, they've got like three feet of ash that they found where the place was burnt. This evidence is there. You can look it up yourselves. 
They found it. It was burnt. And they found these jars with the, with the grain still in them because they, 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 they were thinking they were going to be there for the long haul, but they didn't know in a week from now that they were all going to be, they were all going to be gone and this place was going to be burnt with fire. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.